Radio. Welcome to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you build the wealth and lifestyle you deserve. My name is Nicholas Jensen, bringing you the secrets behind the relationships, strategies, and mindset of the most successful people on the planet. Showing you how to collapse time frames in order to win at business, money, and the adventures of life. You don't know what you don't know, so I'm here to show how the wealthy live, think, and make their money grow. It's time to live the life that you deserve. I'm, I'm here to help. My, my name is Nicholas Jensen. And, and this is Unlimited Wealth. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast. My name is Nicholas Jensen, and I have a fantastic guest today, somebody you guys are really going to enjoy uh, listening to. I've got Mark Bacota with LaunchBoom. His company helps entrepreneurs like yourself, business owners like yourself that have ideas and products that you're trying to take to market. And so we're really going to talk about that process. We're going to talk about some of the, the pros and cons of different ways of taking products to market. And so with that said, welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, thanks. Thanks for joining us. So kind of maybe to just get started off, tell us your story. What's your background and, and kind of take us to the point where you were able to launch, uh, launch your company, LaunchBoom. Launch, LaunchBoom? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So the story actually starts back in college. <laughs> so right now I'm, I'm 29. Uh, so I went to college at San Diego State and go Aztecs. And um, Right when I was getting out of college, I actually uh, worked at this digital marketing agency called eBoost Consulting. And what was so great about that was that it was a deep dive into digital marketing. We got to learn all about it. And this was really like the first time I had dipped my toes into it, but it was more than dipping toes. It really was like diving in head first. Besides just learning all about the online marketing world, it also introduced me to two guys that became uh, current business partners today. Um, near the end of that time working there, uh, one of the guys, his name is Thomas Dorian. He came to the other co-founder, uh, Mike Reevy and I and said, Hey guys, I, I want to start up an agency, you know, kind of like what we were doing at this uh, company that was called Ebus Consulting. And how about we try to start it together? If we're able to close a deal before we all get out of college, this is our last semester of college, then we're going to go for it. So we, we somehow got a lead to some law firm and sold them on God knows what package for $5,000 of all different types of services, got the signed contract and we were in business. So we started this company called Label Creative. There was really nothing different about what we were doing versus any other agency. I'll be honest with you, you know, we're doing pretty much anything we could to keep the business running, keep the lights on, and we didn't want to get a job. And um, so what was difficult about it was that we didn't see a very clear vision for what we were trying to create with the company. Since we were doing all types of odd jobs, we were doing random website builds, branding builds, um, video production, uh, again, like whatever we could do. So we had trouble seeing it, but the fact that we were able to work on so many different projects did expose us to a few crowdfunding campaigns. The first one was uh, a, co a company called uh, Aqua Design Innovations. They had a product that was called EcoCube. And so this thing is an aquarium that you would have. I actually have it somewhere in my, <laughs> somewhere in my home. Um, but it's this really cool aquarium that uses aquaponics as a filter. And again, our client came to us, his name was Kevin. And he said, hey, I want to launch this thing on Kickstarter. 
Okay. And we're like, okay, we had heard of Kickstarter before. Isn't that that site that people go to and just put their idea up there and raise all this money? He's like, no, it's more than that. Like you can actually go there and like pre-sell a product on there and, and get the funding for your, um, for your uh, product that you're, you want to build. But it's, it's something that's much bigger than what you think. So we're like, sure, we'll like try to help you out with this. So we did that. We ended up raising $78,000 for his first product. Okay. We're like, all right, that was cool. But then we go off and keep doing all these other random jobs. One of our clients saw us do that. They said, Hey, we have another consumer product. We want you to help us launch it. It was called one hour break. We did it on Indiegogo and it did a hundred Indiegogo is another crowdfunding site like Kickstarter. Uh, it did $102,000. We're like, all right, that was cool. And then the first client came back with the updated version of the EcoCube called EcoCube C, and we did $375,000 on Kickstarter. So now we're thinking, whoa, there's something here. And about that time, this is in 2015, we had been doing Label Creative for about three years. You know, we were really looking for something that was going to be a much more scalable business model. So we started started to think about how could we systematize our, our business and niche down into something. We look back at these three crowdfunding campaigns. We're like, that is something that is incredibly unique. You know, we could uh, have repeatable campaigns with people, and we just viewed it as a much more scalable business model. And and like on top of it, it's we really did experience it as being the most effective way for entrepreneurs to launch their physical consumer product into the world. Something that I haven't talked about yet is like what makes it so powerful is all you need is one unit, like one prototype. All right, so I actually, I have like so ra- a- So rather yeah. than having a bunch of inventory, you just need one prototype that you've made to, exactly. to launch. 100%. And, and so when you, when you think about that compared to like, let's look at the, the landscape of launching products in the past. Maybe give some viewers uh, or some of the listeners a brief overview. Like what would it take to launch a product pre-crowdfunding versus- as you're talking about now, you have to have one prototype, you know, a pen, yeah. wallet, whatever it is. Yeah, for sure. This is in, this is what, how, it, how it would be done pre-crowdfunding, but it is, is also how people, some people still do it today. A lot of people still do this today and I would say it's incorrect. Would you say it's Pre-crowd- incorrect or inefficient? Yeah, or it's not the most effective, maybe okay. yeah, ineffective, um, inefficient, um, and we can get into why. So yeah, the, the more traditional form of doing a product launch is that you do the ideation of the product, um, which is coming up with, again, the idea, but then like the concept and then going through the actual uh, prototyping stage. So let's just, I, you know, I have this wallet in my hand, which is one of our clients, but I'll just use this as an example. You know, let's say I'm the inventor for this thing. I want to create a minimal wallet that's incredibly strong. You can't break it. So again, I go through the ideation, I get a sample made, but then I have to now make a decision to order a certain quantity of these to have inventory so that when I go to launch, I'm going to be able to sell all of these things. And so there's a lot more risk um, that I'm putting up front because now I'm actually investing a lot more money um, into the inventory side of things with the hope that when I do launch it, I'm going to be able to sell through these things. But keep in mind that I don't know if people are going to buy these yet. I could you know, show this to my mom or my wife or whoever, and they say, yeah, that thing is amazing. Of course, a lot of people are going to buy it. But you really don't know if people are going to buy something until you, you put it up for sale. So that's the traditional way. 
I can get into why crowdfunding is different. So yeah. one thing I want to point out to listeners is, is really think about this as pillar number two in the wealth building machine. This is about cash flow. So when he's talking about bringing a product to market pre-crowdfunding, you have to have a large investment that chews up a lot of your cash and cash flow that may or may not sell, right? Exactly. So when you look at crowdfunding now, crowdfunding is you have one prototype and you get a launch behind it and get that cash flow coming in. I quote unquote pre-sell it. Yeah. It helps your cash flow in your business and in your investment. So yeah, go ahead and then continue on. No, you're hundred percent right there. I mean, that's a great way of, of framing it too. I want to define, uh, you said it, I've said it already that the way that we use crowdfunding in the way that I feel like is the most effective way to use crowdfunding for a physical consumer product is to use it as a way to pre-sell your product. You know, it's not that you can, there are different types of crowdfunding just so people know, like when, when, when someone says crowdfunding, it's not just like a black, white, this is what it is. There is donation based, which are sites like GoFundMe, you know, people are like, Hey, help me. Like, you know, I lost my job. A lot of things yeah. are happening right now with that, with the current coronavirus actually, um, which is pretty amazing, but that's a certain type, you know, people are just giving you money for nothing. Uh -huh. Then you have reward-based crowdfunding, which is where we operate, which is Kickstarter and Indiegogo. That's essentially what we treat as a pre-order platform. People are going in there and pre-ordering your product. You're going to get the money and then you're going to go make it and then ship it to them later. Um, then you have equity and debt platforms as well, which we don't operate in, but just to give you some definition of the different types. So we're working on the uh, reward base, which is pre-order. Is there risk or what's the, the risk to the developer or let's say I want to take a product to market, right? And, and I decide to go the crowdfunding, right? Like what's the risk on my end mm -hmm. to do that? There's, a, there's definitely a few. I mean, it's not completely devoid of monetary risk. I would say that it's considerably less then what is the traditional route of like investing a lot into inventory? So let's, let's break down like what the major costs are, I guess. So if you're going to go for like a incredible, like a, a large crowdfunding campaign, you're going to invest most of your money into, well, depending on how complex your product is, you, you may invest some money into the actual like development of the prototype, but most of the money is going to go into the marketing for a crowdfunding campaign. And what I mean by that is, like building the assets that you're going to need to produce. So photography, videography to promote the thing. And then advertising is like the other biggest thing. Um, because how are people going to know about this unless you're starting to actually broadcast out there that you exist. So that is what you're risking the most on the monetary side when it comes to uh, crowdfunding. And I would say the second thing is, is your time. I mean, and the third thing would be your reputation. Because crowdfunding is a, a public platform, you know, you are putting it out there and everyone can go see, you know, uh, your project that you're trying to uh, raise a certain amount of funding for. I guess this is something that I didn't explain yet, but how crowdfunding works in a nutshell is that, again, I'll use the example of this wallet. I'll say, hey, I'm going to make a crowdfunding campaign. I'm going to, I'm trying to raise $50,000 on this in 30 days. I go live, I now have 30 days to collect funding for this wallet. 
If I reach my goal, then I'm going to go forward with the product project. If I don't, then I won't. That's how it works. So from a crowdfunding perspective, let's say they don't meet their goal. What happens to the, to the individuals that have pledged that money? Does it just go back to them? Is it, is it a decision on the developer's part to, to decide whether to go forward? So let's say that, let's say that 50,000 is the goal in 30 days. Yeah. Let's say in 30 days, you get 49,500. Yeah. Is it a, is it a hard cutoff? Yes. You move forward. No, you don't. Who makes those decisions? Yeah. So, so let's, it's a little bit different on the two largest crowdfunding platforms. So they approach that question differently. So Kickstarter and Indiegogo are the two top crowdfunding platforms. Kickstarter is about twice as large in terms of the amount that it's funded. It's funded a little over 4 billion since it started in 2009. So Indiegogo's latest data puts them at about $2 billion in funds raised since they started in uh, 2007. Now, Kickstarter is what's known as a, an all-or-nothing platform, meaning that in the example that you gave of $50,000 goal, you only raise $49,500, the money does not go to the creator at all. All the money goes back to the backers, and the project is, is not, um, you, know, you don't fall through with the project. So there's some strategy behind how much you're, how much you set your goal for and and things like that in, in the campaign phase or in the marketing. Cause let's face it at the end of the day, when it comes to business, marketing is such a huge component. If you, if you fell on the marketing piece, no matter what you're doing, product launch services, anything you're doing, if you fell in marketing, you basically, (laughs) you fell, right? So there's gotta be some strategy behind how much do we go for in our goal? So how, like, how do you guys come up with those numbers? Yeah, the goal. Yeah. I, I, I actually, the way I like to put it is that the, like setting your funding goal isn't a black or white thing because it's both crowdfunding can both be what I call like either a funding strategy. Like you actually need X amount of money to make this happen, or it can be a marketing strategy. Or it can be both. I mean, to be honest, it can be, it's not mutually exclusive. But a lot of people use crowdfunding as more of a marketing strategy than a funding strategy. Meaning that if they don't, you know, raise as much money as they wanted, they're still going to move forward with the project because they may have access to some outside capital. So just keep that in mind. But what I always tell creators is that the first thing we need to know is what is the minimum amount? that you absolutely need to like move forward with this project. So that's like the first baseline that we're going to operate from. And then, so you you have this like internal goal that you need to hit. And then we have external goals as well that we're going to set. Typically the external goal that we set on crowdfunding is usually lower actually than what the company really wants to raise. The reason why that is, is because getting funded quickly on the platforms has benefits you have the added credibility of a campaign that's gotten funded really quickly, which increases the conversion rate on the campaign. If you're, if you are funded quickly, you typically rise up in the rankings on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. You can think of it as like Google search, right? If you're at the top of the rankings on Google search, you're going to get more traffic. You're more likely to be written about by press because you are a funded project. So often we'll set, we'll set the actual external campaign goal lower than uh, what the campaigner might actually either want or need to try to use that uh, to our advantage to boost us up. Let's say that I've got a product and, and I want to take it to market. 
and you look at all the successful products that have launched versus the ones that have died off or haven't been successful, like what advice would you give creators in the sense of saying, here's what I would do in order to make sure that your product is, is a success? Yeah. I mean, so it's a lot of people don't know, but on Kickstarter specifically, about 63% of all campaigns fail. So you're right that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the projects fail that do launch on there. Why is that? Do you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a comp, it's not one, there's not one answer to it. I would say the thing that the reason why most fail is because they didn't prepare properly to launch. Are these DIYers? Hey, I've got a product. I'm going to throw it on Kickstarter and see how it goes. Is that kind of, yeah, there, there's a lot of that. There's, there, there's definitely a lot of that. There, there's still the incorrect mindset that you can put a project up on Kickstarter or Indiegogo and then traffic will come to you. That's not how it works. It's you have to prepare, build up a community of people that are interested in your product, put it on the platform, send your community there to buy it. And then you're going to, then you'll get more access to the community that's already on Kickstarter and Indiegogo because you're going to be a popular project. So to put it quite simply, the the reason why most people fail is because they don't prepare properly. Now you're going to ask, you know, what, what does it mean to prepare properly? Like, what should you do? Um, I would say the, the, the first thing that you, or what you should be focusing on, uh, mostly is building up that community of people that want to buy your, buy your product before you launch. So that's like an email list of people that are saying, yeah, I'm interested in your product when you go live. How do you do that? Well, in the simplest terms, like I have, I can go way more into detail about this, but in the simplest terms, what we're doing is that we're building a website for them, for a client, for a product creator. Then we're driving traffic from Facebook or Instagram to to this site. And we're allowing people to put their email address in to be notified when you launch. The reason why they want to be notified is because they're going to get the best discount when they launch. So there's, there's other things going on here is that we're, you know, we're testing different product positioning pre-launch. We're trying to find out who the right audience is to target. And the cheaper that we can get an email address generally shows that, you know, that's a good, good indicator that people are actually interested in your product. So we build up a list of people that want to buy it. And then once it gets to a big enough uh, list size, then we launch and we use that to that's actually how we got our name. Launch boom is to hit your goal extremely hit your goal on the first day to like have a launch boom. Going back to this email list, when when you're looking at you know Facebook ads, Instagram ads, things like that, are you just testing different? Diff- I mean, you, you're going to have a pretty good idea. Hey, I think that this people with these types of interests probably would be interested in this product. Are you just testing different audiences to see? what it costs you to get an email address and, and kind of ga- gauging, I guess the pre-launch campaign success off of, off of some of that information. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, pretty much. If you, if you, it, quite simply, it's, it's like that. What we're testing is the, uh, if you break it down, you have like the copy or on the actual ads themselves, the imagery on the ads themselves, and then the audiences that we're targeting. So we actually typically start with three to four different audiences and then multiple variations of the ads within those audiences to start to see which ones are going to respond the best to the advertising. There is one layer deeper, which I would recommend to your audience doing, which is something that we do that no other other agency does. And it's something that we came up with that we call the reservation funnel. So 
let's say that someone gives their email address, say, yes, hey, I'm interested in that, in your product launching. So once they give their email address, the next page, we say, hey, if you want to put down, um, you know, thanks for signing up, you can now put down a $1 deposit to reserve the product at like an even greater discount. And by doing that, um, we found that people that actually put down the $1 deposit are 30 times more likely to buy than someone that doesn't. So now we're able to, uh, you know, it's, it's like another um, micro commitment, you know, yeah. from the person. And so people are raising their hand, being like, hey, I'm more qualified. So now you can start to optimize your ads for purchase intent versus just uh, like lead intent, like just giving their email. So that's something that is important to stress. And you can, you can apply that same methodology to all different types of businesses. Really, it's the methodology of before you go to launch something, how can you get micro commitments or pre-commitments from people? And how can you use that data to inform your, your marketing decisions? Yeah, and um, to, yeah. to gauge interest, right? Like, interest. I mean, obviously, pre-campaign, you're throwing it out there and there's no interest. You're like, you it, know, I saved a lot of money, you know. 100%. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's why we have, we have a testing process, process called Test Boom. So we have, even before people commit or, or us or our clients commit to working uh, together on a full campaign launch, we go through a testing process called Test Boom where we're trying to find what, like getting some type of uh, market data in to see how interested are people in this product? What's the likelihood that you're going to have an, an extremely successful launch on Kickstarter or Indiegogo? And so that type of methodology, I think, is, is, can be really powerful when launching anything. How do you see the landscape changing moving forward? I mean, obviously, you know, from SEC regulations, even allowing crowdfunding, you know, to launching these platforms, what it, what was it 2009 2010 kickstarter and indigo yeah oh yeah so oh, oh. are you talking about like when kickstarter and indiegogo started yeah like when they actually went live and, and that was all due to to regulations before that you know being able to pool capital and raise money in areas in which you couldn't do in the past without having like a, a ppm like a private placement memorandum you know what i mean mm-hmm. but now with crowdfunding there's ways to to obviously get around that but how do you see the landscape changing going forward? Are there any trends coming down the pipe that you're like, oh, we need to make sure that we stay on top of this? Or what are your thoughts? I mean, I think this is really topical with what's going on with, you know, the pandemic. Uh-huh. Um, and then also a likely recession. I mean, uh, could you argue that right now we're in a recession? I'm not even sure. <laughs> Um, you know, so it depends on who you talk to. Most people think that we're headed for a recession. There are a few individuals that are like, no, we're already there. I don't track the data close enough to be able to say, yes, we're in a recession or no, we're not. Because at the, at the end of the day, from my perspective, whether we're in a recession or not, you have to drive your own ship. You've got to make it happen yourself. So it's one of those deals that I think a lot of people rely on the government or the president or industries to kind of carry them along. Whereas whether we're growing or in a recession, you're going to have to adapt and, and change and, and things like this. Long story short, I don't know if we're officially there yet. That's it, yeah. <laughs> and I That's think a lot of people want kind of this extreme bounce to kind of go from pre COVID to yeah, that sucked for a few months back to a booming economy. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're definitely going to, there's going to be some economic fallout. How long yeah. that lasts, who knows? You know what I mean? Exactly. So that's, a, yeah. that's my sentiment too. And I, I can talk about like how I think 
the crowdfunding industry is going to be affected if we do go into some type of economic downturn and, and how long it takes for us to really bounce back. I feel like is um, not as relevant to what I'm about to say. So if you just look at the past, um, like the past two recessions, like the 2000.com bubble and then the 2007, 2008, 2009, all that, the sector that saw the most growth in terms of the retail sector was e-commerce. You know, there was a dip down in e-commerce spend um, like immediately during the, like the recession months. But after that, all of the growth came from e-commerce. If you look at 2008, the other sector that uh, really got, got like started at this point was the discounting sector. So these are like sites like, you know, like Groupon or, um, these sites that have like big drops in prices like touch of modern and stuff like that. And that's where, uh, there was also large differences in growth between that sector versus all the rest of e-commerce even. Um, the reason why this is important is because crowdfunding, the way that we use it is a form of e-commerce. And I think that e-commerce, just like the previous two recessions, is going to see us uh, an even deeper surge of entrepreneurs coming in and looking to launch their products using some type of platform. I believe that crowdfunding is the best way to launch a physical consumer product. So I think that we're going to capture um, a lot more people that are interested in being like, oh, you know what? The system that now we have tens of millions of people unemployed all of a sudden and I I have no job security. The idea that I've always thought about doing, like let's actually go do that. Like crowdfunding is going to be, you know, the answer to that. And so I do think that we are going to see um, growth in that area because of that. And even some early signs that it's going in this direction is uh, Shopify. So Shopify is, is the largest platform for e-commerce. So people to build their own e-commerce stores um, their CTO just tweeted, you know, it's, uh, what's the date today, April 17th, just tweeted that um, they're seeing uh, traffic levels that are at uh, like Black Friday and Cyber Monday levels of traffic every single day right now. Interesting. Uh, across their entire platform. And their stock just jumped like 10% today because he tweeted that. And it started, you're starting to see that, that, you know, because obviously because no one can go to brick and mortar you know, that's a reason why everyone's going online and a lot of brick and mortar type uh, retailers are now taking their stuff online, which is great. So let's say the pandemic ends, it might dip down a little bit, but it's not going to go back to what it was before. You know, actually, if you look at data, even after every single Christmas where more people are shopping online every single year, it doesn't, it's not like the graph goes from people are, you know, spending this much and then Christmas, it goes up to here and then it goes back. It, it goes up and then it goes back to a new normal. It's a little higher because more people are now accustomed to buying online. And so what's happening is that way more people because they have to are purchasing online way more people because they have to are building businesses online. It's going to change consumer behavior. And when we go back to normal, it's going to be a new normal that I think crowdfunding is going to benefit from. I think you bring up some interesting things one, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, the trend of of buying online and just being comfortable making those purchases online is a lot higher today than it was, you know, yesterday or 10, 10 years ago. I mean, you think about, you know, go back to the early 2000s, buying something online, you're super skeptical. Now think about how many times you throw your credit card online. I mean, yeah. it's drastically changed. But I was just telling my wife this the other day. I mean, looking at 
at the pandemic that we're in right now and everybody's at home and trying to limit contact. Dude, look at Amazon. They are crushing it because that's where people are, are going to shop. The other, like iTunes. You know how many movies we've rented or bought off iTunes in the last three weeks? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You're just Grocery bored on a Saturday night. You're like, yeah. you know, what else is there to do? Oh, 100%. And so when you talk about the, the landscape changing, I believe like even when we come out of this, I think business is going to forever be changed because one, we were forced to go into this. And now that I think a lot of people that were maybe old school have businesses that were old school and figured out, Hey, you know what? I don't necessarily need all this overhead. I don't necessarily need this office in this building. Like we can run remotely. And I think we're going to see a lot of that. And Hey, if we can run remotely, what else can we do via e-commerce versus, you know, face-to-face need-to-need type business transactions? Dude, I 100% agree. It's, it's, I view this as being a, like a reset button. You know, For sure. so, even just from a personal perspective, I mean, I know myself, I'll just speak from my own experience. It's like now that I'm home, I'm reevaluating a lot of expenses and things I spend my money on. And when I go back to this new normal, my buying behavior is going to be different. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be purchasing things that I now is it's, it's brought it back to like really focusing on the things that are important and and then realizing all the stuff that may be not, <laughs> to put it yeah. simply. And your, your example of the business or businesses that are spending lots of money on, on uh, you know, renting out these large spaces. You know, I, I do think that there's value to having space for collaboration. I mean, we, we run a mostly remote team, but we all also have a studio space in downtown San Diego. But I do think people will start to question, like you said, you know, is this really the best, most efficient use of my funds? And could we actually get um, the same amount or more efficiency of every dollar that we're putting in by having some people work at home and downsizing space? And so there's going to be all types of changes that are going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out. No, I, I think you're 100% correct. In fact, as you say that, I, I think I know, I personally know three separate individuals who've built companies that had revenues over $100 million, no corporate offices. I mean, there was times in which they would get together for retreats and meetings and things like that, but CEO himself out of his home office, three different scenarios that I personally know. And, and I mean, that's just a super small fraction of, of the businesses out there. So, you know, we're kind of getting off on a tangent here, but you look at my industry. So I'm in the financial industry. Traditionally, it's been knee to knee, you know, sitting across the desk from each other talking. My personal business is 99.9% remote, over the phone, over the internet. I just don't see clients. I don't meet with people. There's no need to because there's no need for them to spend the time to come to my office or me to spend the time to go to that. Now, is that a disadvantage in the older demographic? Yes, just because they're Mm -hmm. used to, you know, seeing people face to face. But it's quickly trending the other direction, which people are completely comfortable, you know, doing business with individuals over the internet. Yeah, I wonder if even the older demographic behavior is most likely going to change. I mean, just from a personal perspective, I'm now doing weekly Zoom calls with my my parents, you know, and yeah. my my extended family, and uh, we never did anything like that. Well, we but, but that. see, here's what I think is forced that to happen: is before your parents 
or, you know, not necessarily your parents, but old, the older generation had no need to figure out Zoom. Like what's exactly. the point? You know what I mean? But now they've got a need to figure out Zoom and okay, if I do it with my family, why can't I do it with my insurance agent? Why can't I do it with my doctor? My wife saw her doctor online like two weeks ago about her oh, really? toe or something. <laughs> yeah, it's really, yeah, it's interesting. It's all about that the force behavior change that we were just talking about is going to cause it to just be more normal. It's awesome. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I mean, it's like, you know, some things like the whole Amazon thing, like in some respects or in a lot of respects, I'm like, wow, it's just, it's pretty amazing that we have a company that's able to exist like it does and serve the whole nation and i know it's a worldwide thing but just in the u.s like during this time like get everyone i've gotten groceries from them multiple times during this it's pretty amazing that it exists same time it's kind of scary <laughs> like the the amount of the amount of growth and how the, how much they're likely going to benefit from this where brick and mortar retailers and a lot of other online retailers were already struggling to compete and uh this is like you know Amazon just like pushing them down even further uh, because of this. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about a company that was absolutely set up for a scenario like this, dude, it was Amazon. Like they, cause they had it figured out before this whole thing happened. You know what I mean? So they absolutely, they're absolutely benefiting from it. So, Hey, anyways, uh, Mark, this has been an awesome conversation. Tell, um, I know you're coming out with a book, yep. you know, talking about, you know, how to launch your products and things like that. So tell, tell my listeners where they can go to get your book, uh, how they can connect with you. If they've got a product, they're trying to figure out how to get, get to market. What's the best way to reach out to you and your company? Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, uh, just wrote a book. It's called crowdfunded. You can go to amazon.com and search it there. It's number one in crowdfunding and it will show you A to Z our system for launching products using crowdfunding. If you want to uh, speak with me, just email me at mark, M-A-R-K at launchboom.com or go to our website at launchboom.com and you can apply to work with us. I have tons of resources on there as well that are free in our blog. I'm really passionate about helping entrepreneurs launch their products. So don't be a stranger. Perfect, Mark. Hey, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you and uh, we'll see you guys next time. If you want to learn more about me, you can visit my website at www.nicholascjensen.com or follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Nicholas Jensen underscore. That's at Nicholas Jensen underscore. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform because you do not want to miss out. We'll see you next time on Unlimited Wealth.